This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Marina Sirtis, Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. You're listening to Trek FM. Theo Greyheart. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer. Joe is away this week, but join with me today is the absolutely outstandingly amazing Amy Nelson. How are you doing today? (laughs) Wow, that was a lot of adjectives. Thank you. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing good. Yeah, you said you like those adjectives, so I figured I'd add a few extra ones. So, (laughs) well, I'm doing pretty good, but one thing I wanted to mention at the top of the show, so since we uh, last recorded Earl Grey, um, unfortunately, Aaron Eisenberg, who played Nog on Deep Space Nine, passed away, so I wanted to acknowledge that. I think it was very sad for everyone in the Star Trek community, but it was really great to see everyone show their love for his character and who he was as as a person and you know remembering all of his his great performances so uh thoughts on that amy yeah that was really surprising i i saw on the saturday when he went into the hospital and everyone's like oh you know sending good thoughts and you know just sort of another checkup you know maybe a little hiccup and then to wake up sunday morning to such devastating news and you know, I've been watching Deep Space Nine and really enjoying the character Nog and seeing, you know, going to Star Trek Las Vegas and seeing Aaron Eisberg there. And, oh, it just very, very sad. And my thread both on Twitter and Facebook was constant. There wasn't anything else that I was seeing, just everyone's outpouring of love and appreciation for Aaron. It was beautiful. It was, yeah, but it was very sad and it happened very suddenly. So um, anyway, just wanted to acknowledge that here because I think that was a big thing that impacted a lot of us. All right, so we want to get started with a couple more iTunes reviews. Uh, as you might know, listeners, last time we're, we've started to catch up on iTunes reviews, so I thought we'd do a few more today uh, that had come in. So Amy, do you want to read the first one? Paloma Bennett via Apple Podcasts in the U.S. says, I'm a major Trekkie. My favorite Star Trek series is Next Gen, and I love the host discussion of the series in Earl Grey. I have found a new way to enjoy Star Trek Next Generation through Earl Grey. And she gave us a wonderful five-star review. So thank you, Paloma, so much for your review and rating. Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate all of the great reviews. I mean, that was one from back in July, so it's going to take us some <laughs> some time to catch up. But we do have one more we wanted to read today. It's from the.j.man, um, also from Apple Podcasts in the U.S. 
uh, who said, who has a subject of great podcasts and gives it five stars and says such a great podcast. Hosts are very knowledgeable as, about Star Trek TNG. This isn't a play-by-play commentary of various episodes as much as it is discussion on various themes and concepts regarding the series. Really enjoy the Trek FM community as a whole and this show in particular. Well, thank you so much. We really, again, appreciate that that you're loving the show. I mean, it it really does mean a lot to us when you send us feedback and reviews. You can give us whatever review you want, but a lot of them have tended to be five stars, which is really very gratifying. Yeah, and I really like our discussions that it's not the episode review, that we're talking, you know, these themes and I love it. And that gives us a broad perspective of next gen and sort of finding the patterns and it's, I just, I I love talking next gen. Agree. And, and if this was a podcast that just did a podcast episode for each episode of TNG and then the movies, it would have been over a hundred episodes ago and there's so much more to talk about, right? That's right. There (laughs) is so much more and we're going to find every, (laughs) every concept that we can talk about. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, we also had Babel Conference feedback from Earl Grey 292, which was an interview with Clyde Kusatsu, who played Admiral Nakamura on TNG. Uh, so, Amy, you want to read the first comment? Yeah, that was such a fun oh, interview. Oh, it was lots just, of fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was. So, Chris Trebuzio says, excellent interview. He's very open and candid gentleman. Yeah, he was just willing to share everything. It was very nice. Absolutely. Uh, And then Liam Smith says, he was a charming and natural fellow in this interview. A complete pleasure. So glad you enjoyed that. I think we got a lot of great feedback from this one, actually. So Matt DT writes, great episode, excellent speaker and discussion. Wish we saw more of him in TNG. He seems like a genuinely great person. And he was just, you know, even before we started the actual interview, he was just talking with us. It it was great. Yeah. And I mean, this is uh, feedback I gathered from... Earlier in the week, there was even more that we received where people really enjoyed it and were saying they could have listened to him for another hour. And I think we could. I know, I saw well. that. <laughs> so, and I, and I joked that he, I mean, someone was saying he should have his own podcast to tell, tell stories. And I joked it should be a 300 episode podcast, one episode for each role he played for his life. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm so glad everybody enjoyed that interview. And it's not next week, but a few weeks from now, I think we'll have another interview for you that we're very excited about. Yes. All right, so today on Earl Grey, we do have a special guest, Nicholas Paul Collinson. So Nick, welcome to Earl Grey. Hey, it's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And uh, I should say, it's pretty interesting to have someone on from Australia because for Amy and I, it is Saturday, and for you, it's Sunday right now. So like, you're from the future. (laughs) (laughs) I hope good things are happening on Sunday. (laughs) Okay, so far it's the weekend, so it's always a good thing. Yeah, it's actually it's actually a long weekend here, uh, or at least in uh, Melbourne where I live, uh, because it was the uh, AFL Australian Football League Grand Final yesterday. And you get a day off. It's a holiday. A couple of years ago, (laughs) this is quite recently. The uh, the local government decided that the the Friday before the Saturday of Grand Final Day should be should be a public holiday, so we get a three day weekend for Grand Final Day. Sounds like it's a okay. big a big enough deal that nobody was getting work done on Friday anyway then. Pretty much. It's it's weird. <laughs> it is like the the football here is is huge especially in Melbourne because I'm pretty sure this is where it was invented. 
I am I am what's known locally as a football atheist. I don't really follow <laughs> it that much, but I'm always happy to have a day off. So that's fine. We also get a day off next month for a horse race. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. There, is, there is the Melbourne Cup and we get Cup Day uh, long weekend. I think it's, yeah, it's actually the Tuesday that's the day off and everyone just just like takes leave on the Monday anyway. So you get a four day weekend. That is incredible. I don't think in the US we have any holidays that are specifically sport based around sports. Related. No, <laughs> we need like the Monday after Super Bowl. That would be a good one to have. Yeah. I, was, I was thinking like surely you guys would because like Super Bowl seems like it's a it's a huge deal, isn't it? Yeah, it is a huge deal. It's a huge deal, but it's on the weekend. So, you know, yeah, yeah but it's <laughs> Sunday. And so everyone's staying up and we need that Monday after. Yeah. A- Amy yes. is going to start an organization for the campaign to make uh, the Monday after the Super Bowl a holiday. Holiday. So if that happens in the future and you're listening, you have Amy to thank for that and Nick for bringing it up. Well, <laughs> yes. we're not just here to talk about Australian sports holidays. So uh, Nick, you've been on the edge before uh, on our network, which is about Star Trek Discovery. That was the edge episode 73, where you talked about alien biology and discovery, which was a great episode. It was so good. And we were just so glad to have you on the edge. It was a great episode. But this is your first time on Earl Grey. So if you could tell our listeners about your history with Star Trek. Yeah. So I started out watching Star Trek when I was oh probably about five or six years old. um, Because my mum was a fan of the original series um, growing up in New Zealand in the 60s. She probably recognized in me from quite early on that I was into like space and science and that sort of stuff. I think she tried to get me into the original series, but I know just from the start, from like even back that early age, I liked Next Generation better. Uh, I think back then it's just because it looked cooler. You know, it was a bit more kind of modern and, and interesting and had the sort of good special effects. But yeah, it just sort of like stuck with me through all of my life. I've spent, you know hours and hours especially of my like early teens just kind of on the internet looking up just whatever random facts about you know technical things about the ships i was i was definitely like that kind of trekkie i was just like really into all the the technical stuff and then like later on i started getting sort of more and more into like the kind of the themes and the ethics and all that really sort of interesting stuff about it and it was I think being into Star Trek and into kind of science fiction and all that sort of stuff from that early age is definitely one of the things that made me want to be a scientist myself, which is Mm -hmm. what I'm now doing. Yeah. And tell us more about your involvement in science. Yeah. So I am, uh, I'm currently uh, undertaking my PhD. I'm towards the end of it. I've got about nine months left to go uh, in my project and I am studying agricultural entomology so i'm looking at uh methods of sustainable pest management especially in um dairy pastures i'm looking at uh using sort of uh, natural fungal insecticides that grow in ryegrass uh, looking at using those to fight off um aphids that sort of suck the nutrients out of the grass wow very interesting So for the topic today, I know we've gone a little bit back and forth about some different topics, but I think what we settled on was talking about our favorite non-human species in TNG. So tell us why you were interested in that topic. It just sounded really cool. I think that obviously my my interest in it comes from uh, being a biologist and being sort of interested in portrayals of alien life, which is what I 
I, I talked about a lot when I was on the edge as well. I just loved talking about the way that Star Trek often portrays aliens. I mean, quite often it's just sort of like the forehead of the week. It's just like someone with a little bit of makeup and they're basically human, but they tend to like take one little bit of like humanity and sort of like ramp that up for like, this is the species that represents this thing. But then there's also like really kind of uh, interesting non-humanoid things that that come up like the 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 crystalline entity and all that sort of stuff as well or like the the space whale in discovery so i i think talking about aliens in star trek and biology and and what i think they represent in the sort of like star trek allegory sense and also just kind of how they are sort of technically and in terms of their own like internal lore i think it's just really cool and the stuff that i'm really interested in okay great okay so we're going to talk about our favorites so so three picks uh and then honorable mentions and i should say specifically uh because the question might come up this is non-human not non-humanoid specifically although it could be so basically any species in tng and possibly however you define species um that is not human so uh We'll go along with that. And I was joking with uh, Amy before this. I will not pick time travel. I will not define that as a species like I did in the villains episode. Jellico will not be his own species. And <laughs> listeners, most of you have probably heard it, but our uh, Earl Grey 288 where we talked about favorite villains. We had quite a lot of fun talking about uh, time travel and Jellico. Well, argument maybe. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's not going to be in here today, I don't think. So, so Nick, given all of that, uh, let's have your first pick. Okay. Um well, uh, I thought for my first, I will actually start off with something that's non-humanoid. Uh, and it's from uh, the first ever Next Gen episode from Encounter at Farpoint. It's the... Are you kidding me? It's the star... Oh, you, did you have this one too? The, the star yes! jellies. Yes. Oh my gosh. How on earth did that even happen? Uh. Nick. Oh my gosh. We are too much together. The thought came into my mind about that, but I was like, no, I'm going to pick something else. But both of you picked oh it. Oh my gosh. So oh, I, I, just, just a little bit before before you mention it. I mean, I think people usually talk about it as the space jellyfish, but yeah. I don't know if you're talking about them as star jellies based on in the novels. That's how they talk about them. That's, Do you read the Star Trek that, novels? Okay, That's the, the, the term that's in my head for them because I've also read that's Orion's Hounds, isn't it? Orion's Hounds, the the uh, Titan novel by Christopher L. Bennett. It's a yes. great one. But we'll, we can call them star jellies. I kind of yeah, like star that. Star jellies, <laughs> cosmozoans. Yeah, cosmozoans a nice term he introduces as well. So so tell us why you picked this one. Well, I wanted to pick these because I, I did want to bring in something that was kind of very non-humanoid, very kind of different from what you might usually expect to see in Star Trek. And I actually, I, I rewatched um, Encounter at Farpoint uh, this week just to sort of get my notes back together. And I just thought that, um, yeah, especially considering this was a thing in the f in the, that they put in the first episode. It was very, like, uh, interesting thing to show straight out of the gate. Like, it was, um, uh, I think, the idea of, like, giant space-born life forms and, like, biological s ships... Um, is something that I've always found like really interesting. Um, it's like in Star Trek, you know, you have this and there's like, I think a few others that we may have thought about. I know there's like the, the, the Tin Man, I think, which I haven't seen that episode recently, which is why I'm not going to mention that one. Um, 
because I don't know enough about it. But it's, yeah, I think it's just sort of a fascinating concept. And I mean, uh, I think I've seen a few people, you know, kind of more um, hard sci-fi futurist sort of people kind of talking about how something like this could work. You know, if you could genetically engineer something biological to grow sort of the right kind of thing like a sort of big heart exoskeleton to protect it from the vacuum of space and like how all of this stuff would work and i just think that the yeah the way that it's portrayed in that episode um is pretty interesting like it it actually goes well to sort of highlight everything that you're going to be getting throughout the series like it shows you know who Troy is as sort of the empath like she can sense the the sort of the fear and the and the anguish of the one that's been turned into the station and sort of the anger of the mate that turns up I think there's like uh Geordie's visor can sort of detect certain things about it and he can tell that it's not any kind of material that they are aware of there's just kind of so much about them like they can shapeshift and like they're and they've somehow been trapped and forced into the uh into the shape of the seems like they can replicate stuff right that too yeah it's like there's the bit where it's just sort of like oh that apple wasn't there a minute ago <laughs> that's the one yeah it just like makes yeah. the apple appear makes um and when when dr crusher is out shopping and she finds like the bit of like the exact bit of fabric that she wants yeah it's just like a very um interesting idea they talk about it converting energy into matter uh and they liken that to you know how our transporters work so it's like biologically doing what they can do with technology Mm, very cool so amy since this is already on your list your thoughts (laughs) yeah uh i like it for all that those reasons nick that you listed and you know how they are you know creating things converting the energy into you know something physical i thought was an amazing characteristic and like you, looking at the story of this uh, alien life form, like it's completely benign. And then how we have someone who is going to take advantage and, you know, that that is still a fear and something that we have to protect and guard against. And I love how the Enterprise crew is, you know, willing to fight for this alien life form that was captured and now, you know, forced into servitude. Um, So the whole idea of that story is another reason why I like the alien life forms. Um, And of course, I love that, you know, we get the famous Troy line, great joy and gratitude, because that is the one that I use to close every show with. Yeah. So you can thank those star jellies for that. <laughs> we can. Yeah. So that it was one of the reasons why I wanted to choose them. And interestingly enough, at Star Trek Las Vegas, just in a couple years ago, did you see the cosplayers? Yeah. Well, I think I, I don't know if I saw them come down the hallway, but I think I saw the, the pictures. That was pretty great. <laughs> Yeah, so that was my good friend Melissa Whaley and oh. her her husband. Um, as they did that. I was like, oh my gosh, so creative. Yeah. So, you know, for those reasons, I just thought, and yeah, it's the first episode. It's non-humanoid. So we're really getting this adventurous and how creative, you know, that this now Star Trek is going to be. It's not just your alien of the week. This is something so out of the box, non-humanoid. So I think for many reasons, um, I think it's a great pick, these 
star jellies. It definitely is. I mean, and one thing that it makes me think of is, as I've said before on Earl Grey, I've come to TNG more recently, probably the first time I saw it was around 2010. And I think that was one of the things that, that drew me in, just seeing the progression of the story and seeing how they're being taken advantage of and that the Enterprise crew really respected them as life forms and wanted the best for them and to free them from their oppression and have them do what they needed to do and that it was something that, yeah, very much looked non-humanoid. I mean, I think there, there are a few examples of things that are non-humanoid in the original series, like the Horta and the Excalbians and things like that. But I think having this space jellyfish, these star jellies like in space is something that you could do with the special effects in TNG, which would have been much harder to make it look realistic, I think, in the original series. So there was something about it that captured me like, wow, that's really cool. And I could totally see that happening. And that kind of pulled me in. And I think it's interesting because I've seen for a lot of people, you know, recommending to new fans where they should start with TNG. You know, there's a lot of people like, I'll just skip ahead to to season three. But what captured me was Encounter at Farpoint, the first episode. And that helped me to keep going and to and to love the show. So I think that's that's really great. And and also we mentioned it before, but I'll put a plug in again, like the the Titan novel Orion's Hounds that has these star jellies. It also has a crystalline entity and a bunch of other what they call cosmosomes, like whole communities of these different space going life forms. It's like a super cool book and includes a lot of great stuff. But that is a really great choice in taking us back to the beginning of TNG, but also to something that is very much non-humanoid. <laughs> Awesome. So, so Amy, are you going to say that's your first pick or bump something else up? What would you like to do? Well, I will, thankfully, had a conversation with uh, Christopher D. Littlefield, and I was like, oh my gosh, what are we talking about? And I was sort of just running ideas past him, and he came up with one, so I'm going to insert okay. his ideas, my, I guess, honorable mention now that <laughs> Well, we'll say it's first gone. pick, maybe. Anyway. Yeah. So, um, again, I like when I was thinking about this, uh, topic, I, the things that came to my mind were sort of the species that we ran into that were like benign, that had just the instinct to survive, um, and not like, um, an aggressor. Okay. And so one of the things, and I do apologize, and I always forget, oh, Galaxy's Child, you know, where the, you know, I was thinking of mentioning that one because he just wanted, it was a baby and he needed nutrients, you know, and it's like, you can't, you can't harm him for that, you know, and and you can't blame him. He's just trying to survive. Um, So one that um, I wanted to mention, mention was the silicon... So the little bright light that grew. Oh, the microbrain that's on home soil. Yes, home soil, yes. And again, that they just sort of, and again, a reason why I like this is because they're exploring and we're finding new life. And here they are, this little layer in between soil and water and whatever, and it's this new life form. And I love that about the next gen and Star Trek in general. Um, so wanted to mention that non-human species. Okay. More love for season one. Um, I really like the, the microbrain a lot, but, uh, Nick, your thoughts on that? 
which episode was this one in? I'm trying to remember. So this was this was in home soil. So they were doing some terraforming project and didn't realize they were harming this life form. It's the one that calls the bru- the crew ugly bags of mostly water. Oh. <laughs> and it needs light. Yeah. And yes. then they they try and it keeps growing and growing and breaking the little container. And then Picard kind of tortures it by uh, putting know. the light down low. But yeah, and yeah. That one. That's that one. I mean, they're basically just like points of light that keep kind of expanding, yeah. Yeah, I like I love the um yeah, ugly bags of mostly water. That's very <laughs> um yeah, I guess this is another great example of like a of a kind of very very non-humanoid thing and it sort of take on us. There's a there's a very wonderful little um uh short story online that that I found. It's called um Meat. It's by someone named Terry Bisson and it's it's a similar sort of thing. It's it's basically it's a kind of two alien entities talking about humans and then like they're made out of meat. What, what do you mean they're made out of meat? They're made out of meat, and they and they they do all this. And it's like, it's yeah. I th- I think I've heard about that. Yes. Like it's really funny, but it's also really interesting. And yeah, it de- definitely kind of probably kind of comes from the same sort of area. It's like um something that's clearly like a an intelligent life form, but but seeing humans from such a different context, it's like. What are these things? Oh, ugly bags, mostly water. What is it trying to do to me? Yeah, and they communicate and they learn so quickly. Like, that's pretty awesome about them also. And it's pretty amazing you can communicate with something that's that's really, like, small and just seems like a little point of light. That's very cool. Yeah, I, I like that episode a lot. And there, and there is a good message, like, you need to care about all of the different kinds of life forms and you can't do something that may be to the advantage of the Federation if it's, if it's harming other life. So, Yeah, and the fact that they're just so small, it's like you don't even want to hurt the smallest to the largest for your gain. You know, it's a good message. Well, I, and, and your picks have gone from the smallest to the largest. The microbrain is tiny and the star jellies are gigantic. They're like bigger than the ship, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they were <laughs> really big. So that's awesome. I love that. So two non-humanoid picks. All right. So for my first pick, I might as well put it there because we were talking about Encounter at Farpoint. So I picked Q, the Q. Nice. I think of them as like a species. And I've. I, it, it's funny, like as I've found out more about what people think about different aspects of Star Trek, I've definitely found there are fans that don't like Q. But I've always loved Q since the very beginning because there's something really intriguing. I know we've had, you know, godlike beings and things in the original series, but this is the one that you see again and again and is such an important component of TNG. I mean, could you even imagine what TNG would be like without Q? I think it would be quite different. And I I think, I mean, we see different Q, but I'm talking mostly about John Delancey's Q because I think it's it's interesting. It's like, okay... You guys have gone this far. You need to go no farther. Um, and then there are times where he's doing things that lead to loss of life and he's mischievous. And then there are other times where he's helping and in, especially like in Tapestry and All Good Things. So his character kind of changes and grows. And just this whole idea of the Q continuum has only been explored, I think, a, a little bit in TNG and a little bit in in Voyager maybe especially. But they're still kind of mysterious. Like what's their structure? How does it work? 
what are the different cue like? Because we only see a few. We see, you know, John Delancey's cue. We see Susie Plaxon. We see in Voyager. Uh, well, that was isn't Voyager with Susie Plaxon and Quinn and all that. But you only and see Corbin a little bit. Burnson. And Corbin Burnson's cue. So you see like little bits here and there. It's mostly John Delancey's. But I just like the idea of this kind of species that's been around for who knows how long. I mean, according to the novels, like Q's been around for billions of years and just gets bored after a while and wants to play with stuff. But I think the idea, like, I think the Q are all powerful, but they're not all knowing. It seems like there's certain things they don't know because there's just like too much going on in the universe, but they can make almost anything happen that they want to. So I think it's it's fascinating when when you're talking about that, because the other things that, that we talked about, like the star jellies and the, the microbrain, like the Enterprise crew, for the most part, can kind of decide the fate or has some kind of power for some of the episode. But with Q right away, it's like, this is something way beyond us. So I've always found that really fascinating. And I just love Q and had to pick it. Like, that was my first thought, actually. Like, my favorite species is the Q. So what do you guys think? Yeah, I I'm so glad you mentioned it. I was I, I think I had Q as a as like a potential um, honorable mention because yeah, I think a lot of it probably comes down to John Delancey's amazing performance as him. He's just he's brilliant throughout. I've always been yeah, like you said, really um, fascinated by Q and just like the ways that they brought him in. You know, like when he's starting out, he's there. He's sort of judging humanity and and he uh, is obviously not all-knowing because he's sort of his 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 knowledge is kind of up to a point but sort of not um not up to where clearly we are at the point when we're in you know the the 24th century and then sort of picard and everyone sort of prove that to him by their you know freeing the um the star jelly and all that sort of stuff you know it obviously takes a lot of cues from the like sort of mythological Cues, I like tricks. That. <laughs> yeah not intentional <laughs> but yeah it's like it's Q-Qs. very much inspired by the idea of the sort of mythological trickster god yeah kind of thing and i think there's oh oh it's the single episode where he turns up in deep space nine when vash is there as well and she's talking about like some planet and she's like what did they call you there the god of lies <laughs> yeah yeah I like that. I like that yeah. <laughs> he showed up in one episode there. He got punched by Cisco and didn't I come back. I never wanted to come back. Yeah. Picard never punched me. <laughs> uh, what do you think, Amy? No, Q is a great pick. And it was interesting when we were talking about our villains. Like some people consider mm-hmm. Q a villain. And I was like, what? No. I mean, Trickster is exactly where I put him. He's not a villain. I I love him. And it is interesting to you know, think about when I think about, he's like, well, I'm going back to the Q continuum. I'm like, is this like a big sea of goo? Like Odo has to go back to, or, you know, I'm, we don't know. Always wondering. Yeah. Because I mean, you see the Q continuum in, in Voyager, I think it was in, in death wish, but it's presented in a way that, that people who aren't all powerful can understand that's not apparently really what it's like. And of course Q is in this guise as like this human captain, but that's not really what he's like. <laughs> exactly. And you know, I love the fact that he can and the Q can, you know, create these little pockets of alternate realities and have their little fun and games and what if scenarios like in Tapestry and the one where the pig people 
Napoleon. No, hide and cue. Hide and cue, yeah. You know, it's just these little pockets of reality that I'm like so curious about because how great would that be like, well, what if I wanted to do this and then just sort of do a little alternate reality, but then come back to my real life? It could be very dangerous though, like in Q Squared, (laughs) the novel. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) We're all hell breaks loose. So he is very interesting in that, you know, again, we get to see him as he presents it. And I like sort of the whole idea because you know that the queue would have to progress they had to at one time been something lesser and it seems like that they have forgotten that because they as we see in encounter at farpoint and in all good things like Q condemns humanity and it's like, well, wait a minute, you had to progress to get that far, you know? And so it's interesting. I think the Q continuum represents what if we forgot how far we had come. And then when you lose that compassion, when you see, you know, someone less evolved. Interesting. Well, maybe certain people will ascend to omnipotence by the 24th century and become the Q. Maybe. I, I don't know. I have, I have seen someone bring this up as like a weird fan theory that the, that the Q are actually um, way far in the future evolved humans that, that have you know evolved into these sort of godlike beings. And I mm-hmm. think it was in the same thing they were saying that maybe the, the, the prophets from Deep Space Nine are like the same thing, but for Bajorans. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, well, I mean, let's let's get John Delancey's Q in the Picard series and explain their origin. Oh God, that would be right? so good. That'd be awesome. Well, we'll see. All right, so Nick, let's go to your second pick. My second pick. I don't have much written down for it, but I just really wanted to talk about them specifically about the one, the main character we see, because it's the Elorians, which is Guinan species. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, and I, yeah, again, I think they are really. I mean, Guinan is just a fantastic character that she's just there and she's very wise and, and calm. Uh, and she kind of fills the the actual role of ship's counselor that Troy was supposed oh, to be. Oh, don't say that careful. to Amy. <laughs> it's, Nick, no, I, tread carefully. Tread I like carefully. the character of Troy a lot. I think, I think that she just, she suffered from uh, writers not taking her as seriously as they should have. Um, and and giving a lot of that stuff to Guinan. There we but, go. That's the right way to. Yeah, put it. <laughs> but I I I think that I think especially in oh, Times Arrow. That's the one where they go back in time to the to the mm-hmm. like eighteen fifties ish, and you and they meet um, Mark Twain. Yeah, Mark Twain, and they meet Guinan back there as well. But it's it's not her travel back in time. It's her at that point in her history, and they're just like oh, realized just how old she is and 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 that she's been to earth before it's like they're almost like a kind of more like passive background version of the uh time lords or like the doctor from doctor who who just sort of like travels around space and time kind of you know for in in that he's doing it and visiting people and like solving problems and saving the universe i feel like with the elorians they're just they're just listening they're just going around listening learning and like Guinan's that way, but the other Elorians that we see, like Soren in Generations, mm. and then whatever the guy is in DS9's Rivals, he's Elorian too. Yeah, they're not quite like that, are they? Yeah, I mean, because the well, the guy in <laughs> DS9, he's he's a con man, isn't he? He he kind yeah. of uses his uh... his magic probability machine. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it's a weird episode. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, but, but, but like Guinan is definitely the strongest example. And I love Guinan like so much and, and wanted to see more really and to know more about her. I'm glad that she's a little bit in the novels. Actually, I'm reading a novel right now that has Guinan in it. Cool. But another one, of course, we should see in Picard series. I would love that so much. Yeah. But, uh, Amy, what do you think about Elorians? Maybe Guinan especially. Yeah. You know, it is interesting. And you bring up Soren. Yeah. As an Elorian, and it's it's so cool to see them together, you know, in the same movie, because it's like, oh my gosh, there's two Elorians, and sort of how one chooses to use their time, you know, and of course, Soren is obsessed with getting back to the Nexus, so he's going to use his time to try and, and get back, and so all of these years and all of the experience that he has, he's going to put it for this one cause. And we have Guinan, who is, I think, just living the best life that she can without expectations. And I love that. And we, her calmness when you were describing her, just it, uh, Nick, it made me be calm when I was thinking about her because she is, she's just a center and so grounded. And the wisdom that comes from her, I mean, of course, she's a great counselor. She's been living for so many years that. She has the experience and she can offer that to you. So I, I think it's great. It's I don't know if I would want to live that long though. Yeah. Um, but it's it's pretty it's it's an interesting Speak for idea. yourself. I want to live forever. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay, Riker. Since we're talking about generations. But yeah. but yeah, that is an interesting idea. Like she's at least 500 years old. I mean, that's when you see her in the 19th century. It was like yeah. almost 500 years before. And what is that like? And she's had 23 marriages and lots of kids and stuff. Like, whoa, that's really something to take in. And we don't actually find out all that much about some of that past. Hmm. That is a missed opportunity to, you know, have her, especially her children, like, how many different kinds of kids does she have? Like, are they all a hundred percent Elorian or is she going off with different species? Yeah, you know, like Troy's know. half beta Z, half human. Like, how interesting that would have been to come across hers. I mean, we had season seven that was meet the family season. We could have met someone from so so here's an interesting thing. So the the and I looked up some information on it. So the Deep Space Nine episode rivals where you see Martus Mazur, who's the El Orion. The original intention was that he would be Guinan's son, but when they found out Whoopi Goldberg wasn't available, they dropped that and he's just, you know, some El Orion. But wouldn't yeah. that have been cool oh. if if that had happened yeah. if she was on yeah. DS9 and that was her son or one of her sons? That would have been really cool. It'd be very interesting to see Guinan just like dropping into quarks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, missed opportunity. But anyway, um, but yeah, that's that's a really great pick. I mean, the, such a wonderful character that I want to see more of. And uh, it, it's interesting also because that's probably the most human looking that we've picked so far, right? Um, yeah. I mean, she pretty much looks entirely human, right? Right, but, yeah. Yeah. So, Amy, your second pick. Okay. So my second pick, I actually use in my math classroom. Ooh, so math maybe connection. you can guess. <laughs> maybe I can guess. Uh, can it be a species to be the Pythagorean theorem or a prime number? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Pretty close. Huh? Uh, binary numbers. So oh, the binars. Nice. Yes. Cool. In 11001001. One, one, zero, zero, one, zero, zero, one, um, which is binary for 201. 
I wish it was 47, but it's I know. not. <laughs> it's, that, that's also a season one episode. We're picking a lot from season one. That's because season one is so it good. Is. That's I why I really always good. balk when people <laughs> like, oh, just jump to season three. I'm like, no, you're missing out. Yeah. So the binars, I absolutely love this idea. And it was created by Maurice Hurley and Robert Lewin. And they were discussing and thinking about, about binary code. And of course, all the technology and computer systems that are coming, it's like, what if we had this species that was, you know, completely binary? And uh, there is a wonderful little YouTube that talks about the binars and um, how they are just, it's an individual working as a pair. And so they finish each other's sentences and, you know, they're genderless, which I find very interesting so early on that we see in TNG season one. Um, and that their ears are asymmetrical on their head. Are they really? However, they're symmetrical with the other oh, person. I never even noticed yeah. that. What a yeah, detail. it's so cool because their ears are really weird looking. And that whole prosthetic was developed by Michael Westmore's Jr., so the famous Westmore family. And they have, these are the first time we have a purple, and they call them the lilac-colored mm. aliens because um, they had used, like, every color except purple. And so Michael Westmore's like, all right, let's bring there on the lilac. There had never been, a, like, a purple... Alien, not alien? on Star Trek. Wow, yeah. I didn't realize that. Hmm. Um, and I just, I, um, it's really cool. The little um, processors that they have, they are controlled by the actors there. Really? And um, the synaptic processors was pre-Borg. So they yeah. are, you know, and so it's just like they're this interesting, this nugget of an idea that sort of, I think, leads to the Borg. Um, I just, I love the binars. I love their little speech that they came up with and that they're talking in ones and zeros. And it is a fabulous episode where we get Minuet and what they can do with the computer programming and the holodeck is all great. I just, I love the binars. I show a little clip uh, in my classroom when I teach binary code. Cool. So, Very anyways. cool. Love what it. do you guys think about the binars? Uh, I think they're really fun too. I'm... I just noticed, so you mentioned that the, the ears are asymmetrical on one, but symmetrical with their, like, partner. That goes yes. for the whole sitch, like, the whole costume. And, like, you know, one of them has a little synaptic processor on that side and its partner is, it's it's all and mirrored. It's, and they, and they, there's even, like, a, uh, it looks like like a uh, uh, this silver kind of stripe that goes on the, kind of down on in an L shape. And there's, like, a yes. mirrored yes. L shape on the other one. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Wow. So, the, yeah, the... Like the production design going into these costumes and everything is amazing. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I, that episode is one of my favorites. And I do love the idea that they can kind of talk to each other in binary code because when they're not, you know, talking to people from other species, they're like, oh, hold on a second. And and they're like, blah, 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 blah. It's like you hear all, all this stuff that's supposed to be like the computer noise and they're dependent on this computer on their home world that's like really something as well like how they would be controlled by that through subspace i guess so there's lots of really cool concepts in there we only see them in this one episode i'm gonna keep saying it we should see them in picard because it'd be really cool yeah. but but uh <laughs> actually i 
Joe would laugh because I'm going to mention novels again, but um, I started reading earlier this year the Starfleet Corps of Engineers novels, and basically those are originally like ebook novellas. And uh, two of the important characters are binars in that, and you kind of follow like what happens with them. I've only read like I think eight of the novellas, so there's there's more to come. But I was like, oh yes, more binars, and it's it ends up becoming a really fascinating study. So that's a really great choice because. You know, they are humanoid, but they're very different in like how they behave and how they're connected to their planet and some of how they look and all that. But wow, great choice. All right. My second choice. Uh, I think this is one that I've talked about before because I just love it so much. Uh, maybe it's stretching the definition of species, but uh, I'm good. Oh, dear. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not alternate universes. Okay. That's not a species. <laughs> Um, I'm going to pick the exocomps from Quality of Life, the oh, season six yeah. episode. So, so yeah, the, and and just to refresh people if they don't remember it. Uh, so this was the episode where there is this mining operation that's doing some mining from space, and there's a scientist that has developed these tools, really, and they're really cute. But anyway, these these tools that can kind of fly into different areas and fix things and automatically like replicate the tools that they need. But in the course of the episode, you know, data kind of finds out that they have self-awareness. They're trying to preserve their existence so that they're really alive. So I know that they're, you know, completely mechanical, but it seems like they've gotten to a point where you could think of them as a species. And even though, unlike in some of these other, uh, episodes where you hear them speak uh, the different species speak even the microbrain you don't really hear from them but based on their actions you kind of know what they want and i think that's a really cool concept as well the star jellies are kind of like that as well but there's something that i've always liked and wanted a kind of a, a follow-up because i think it's kind of a it's kind of a fascinating idea just to think that maybe you could have something technological that would get to a point that it accidentally becomes sentient. You know, data is different because that was kind of the intention. But uh, I don't know. I, I just really love the exocomps. Uh, Amy, what do you think? Yeah, you're right. When you were saying that we can tell sort of their intent by their actions and that they're not communicating. But, you know, when they go in and that little exocomp goes in to save the day and sacrifice himself where he knows he's going to die, you know, Oh my gosh, you're right. That is a great, great pick. And we can learn so much. And again, recognizing this life form and protecting it and not using it to our advantage because it has its own purpose. I it, Great pick. Thank you. Uh, what do you think, Nick? Yeah. Oh, I agree. That's a, such a great pick. And I've watched that episode uh, for the first time, I think quite recently. Oh, really? There's some TNG you haven't seen? Is there other parts of TNG? Oh, I've seen most of it. I am I am in the process of working my way through on Netflix from start to finish to make sure I've seen oh, all nice. of it. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. So that must have been an interesting surprise to see that. It was a really good episode. And I thought it was, especially because how much data features in it, uh, it, it was a great sort of like continuation of Measure of a Man. So that episode, we spend so much time defining that data is is a being, is a is a sentient being, and not just a machine. Then to have him go on and be, yeah, sort of doing that, proving that same thing for the exocomps, and just the 
It's it's actually very interesting coming from the point of view of of as a biologist as well, seeing just how they define life. And it is actually kind of hard to define exactly what life is. I mean, I for me, like it's quite easy. I work with uh, insects, which are very you know they're even though they're tiny, they're still very clearly animals, clearly alive. But I mean, they don't have the same sort of neural processing as like higher vertebrates they're not in any way sort of sentient or anything like that but if you looked down the scale to like you know people studying um, diseases and viruses it's actually very hard to determine whether or not viruses count as a form of life so that kind of debate as, as sort of like what defines being alive is is going on now um so that's and to see it kind of the way they portray the exocomps as as acting uh, and how they behave, it is very cool and it is very indicative of of how you'd expect you know a living thing to to behave when it has a sense of self preservation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I think that there is something really interesting. I mean, you mentioned that we're still kind of struggling in some cases with is this life or isn't it and they're kind of still struggling with that hundreds of years from now so yeah. i think there's something very relatable that it's not like they figured out everything they come and you do see this a lot in tng like they come across something and they're like is that alive is it a life form we don't know you know and and there's still so much exploration and discovery going on there were a couple of things i wanted to mention related to the exocomps about the the production, I don't know if we talked about this in a previous episode, but they're originally intended to be, and this is from Memory Alpha, uh, simple wall terminals and household appliances. So uh, writer Naren Shankar envisioned them as a modular device that would be added to existing tools like a high-tech transformer toy, and above all, that they would be alien appearance and easily overlooked. But I mean, they, I think they made that change maybe in order to make them more relatable. And, and I kind of like how it turns out. But what if it was a wall terminal or yeah. something like that? No, I need that because my stupid fire alarm started beeping. Fi- the smoke detector. Oh, my gosh. And then I have to climb up, you know, balance on a chair. And oh, if I just had a little exocomp to go and, voot, you know, and oh, okay. We need that. You might to be enslaving a sentient being, though. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but we'd make sure that yes, it's not sentient. Yeah. So another thing I think that's interesting that I never ever would have thought about is so for for the exocomps, you know, you, you see them like on the Enterprise, and they're kind of moving through the corridors. It seems like by themselves. So there were actually control rods attached to them by puppeteer Kevin D. Carlson. And that was the person who was like holding them and moving them with the control rods was like painted out oh, <laughs> later. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Wow. It doesn't look like it. You don't think like, oh, there's a person there that's moving it, but they are. That's cool. Would they have been there in like a like a green morph suit or something to be like chroma keyed out maybe? Like 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 green screen stuff. It doesn't give the detail on that. And I mean, I don't know like how far along they were with... I mean, it does say also they only they only had the budget to build two of the exocomps and a third one was digitally inserted in post-production. Oh, wow. So there was actually only two of them. So there was stuff that, I mean, that, that impresses me about TNG sometimes. There were these things going on. You would never, ever guess that there's like a person controlling it or they didn't build three of them or whatever. But anyway, I wanted to add that because sometimes the production stuff to pull these things off because it is kind of a, a really alien thing and it's it's purely a machine. So, okay, I'm glad that you agree it fits the definition of species. <laughs> 
I think the the entire point of that episode is to is to is to prove that it does. That's true. Yeah. So Nick, your third pick. My third pick. So this one I I've uh, I've been wanting to talk about uh, for ages. Uh, I have a few things to say, and it's this is much more about uh, not so much the species itself, but the way they communicate. Because um, this is the Tamarians or the children of Tamar from the from ah. the brilliant episode Darmok. Uh, and I just think that that bringing them in like that and having that as the way they communicate was so, so fascinating because you have, I think it was great for them to introduce that because you have, you know, the Enterprise going around and, and all of these series and they, they encounter new aliens and they can always just talk to them because they have the universal translator. And I think it's great, even in this episode, the translator is working perfectly. Like they they hear what they're saying in English, but the way they say it you know, just because it's all references to their, uh, to their own mythology and you know references to their own culture, it is completely unintelligible to anyone else that doesn't have that context. And it's uh, it's just such a brilliant episode in also in how it shows just what a great sort of communicator and diplomat Picard is that he is eventually able to intuit what the Tamarian captain is saying and work with him. So, yeah, it's just really cool in those senses. And I like that there is, is, I find it really, really interesting recently that the way that the Temerians communicate in terms of, you know, cultural references and stuff is starting to get very similar to the way that a lot of people, especially people like me and my friends communicate nowadays with memes and references to sort of our own pop culture and stuff my yeah. brother and i communicate almost entirely in simpsons references so <laughs> it's just like our version of shaka when the walls fell is homer trying to build a barbecue <laughs> or there's um well there's another brilliant one that i i that uh for any of the other australian listeners uh i think a great one for us would be this is going straight to the pool room which for anyone who hasn't who doesn't know that reference or hasn't seen the uh, movie The Castle would have no clue what whatever <laughs> that means, but basically that would translate to what a fantastic gift you've just given me. Oh wow, yeah, it it is pretty interesting. We did talk about Darmok somewhat, uh, uh, I think a few weeks back when we talked about the power of words, and we were also kind of joking like a lot of people communicate in emojis, and maybe in the future yeah. a podcast will just be like people mentioning emojis or something like that, but. But no, like, I mean, it, it, I think it's a really great point. We tend to use a lot of, of references to get our point across. And I think even as, as Star Trek fans, there are things that, that we use that are references to episodes or maybe technobabble that, that, that gets used in Star Trek. But Amy, uh, what do you think about the Temerians? Yeah, that, that is so good. And on that thread that we talked about, or I wasn't there because Shoab was our guest, uh, it was interesting. Uh, we had a listener comment and that brought up that same thing of, you know, using emojis and where they insert. And if an emoji replaces a word that it's, you know, she can't read that. Um, it's it brings that so powerful. We got oh, an email, didn't we? Yeah, the email. Oh Justin. God, I forgot to put it on to read it, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Next, next time, sorry. Next next week, listeners. But there is a great email that we got from a listener on you know how they uh, a professor used uh, Darmok as an example to launch the idea of 
anyways, ha- how an ancient civilization spoke and it just is so interesting. And you're right. When they had the translator, it was translating it into English, but you know, Shaka, when the walls fell, what, what does that, I know, you know, and Picard's like, I know the individual words, but I don't know the meaning put together. And to have this entire species is just so amazing that they're still communicating like that. I, I find it interesting. I, I had a funny thought. What if instead of, you know, them being beamed down to the planet to kind of work things out, if the Temerians beamed over like a Blu-ray box set of like performances of all their great stories. Yeah, the like, greatest hits. Like, oh, and now yes. I get it. <laughs> oh, okay. The episode that's called Darmok and Jalada Tanagra. Let's check that out. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's it's a really great pick, and that's definitely one of my favorite episodes. And it's interesting because I think for some of these, they're interesting because of how they look or how they behave in this particular instance it's because of how they behave in, in language that's that's really interesting right yeah all right so amy how about your third pick okay so not to disappoint i am going to pick uh beta zoid oh yeah. that's what we predicted last week <laughs> yeah i was like okay i will give in to what the people expect but i just I love Troy, and I think it's interesting, you know, she is half Beta Z, half human, so she doesn't have the full uh, sense and, and powers, but, you know, she has this extrasensory em- empathy, um, and I found it interesting doing a little bit of research, because on Memory Alpha, it says that she cannot, or Beta Zs in general, cannot read emotions when brain structures are dissimilar, um, however, we just in encounter at Farpoint, she was able to, you know, feel the emotions of the, you know, aliens at encounter at Farpoint. So it's like, well, wait a minute. So I, I think they pick and choose a lot of things. I think it's very interesting because in the research, uh, they were beta Z is named after the beta Zeta system, uh, which is in the alpha quadrant. And there's quite a debate because on the Star Trek star charts, it's listed as the fifth planet in the Beta Zeta system. Um, but in the first year source book, it's the second planet. And in the world source book, it's listed as the third planet. So it's very, it's around there somewhere. I don't think they've said on screen what planet it is, though. Right, yeah. exactly. Nothing has been said. But we have been there. Um, and, you know, I like, it's interesting because they have s- sort of an archaic culture. Because, you know, in, in uh, oh, shoot, what's the name of it? Where uh, she was married, she was uh, said to be married to Wyatt Miller. Oh, Haven. Haven, Also first yes. season. <laughs> yes, again, first season. Um, so they have this you know, this genetic bonding custom that's still in place, which is so archaic to be married, you know, by, you know, your parents. But well, you're saying that they, for, the, for the future, but... Uh, right, yeah. you know, and, and so that, but they are so into and rely on their culture and their historical backgrounds, you know, because we always have Luaxana 
Troy introducing herself, the fifth house of Beta Z, holder of the sacred chalice of Reeks, heir to the holy rings of Beta Z. And Reeks is the capital city, which I learned, okay. um, which holds about 1.3 billion people there. Um, on the planet or in the capital city? <laughs> the, the, on the planet. Okay, that's good. Is what it says on Memory <laughs> Alpha. But I just think it's interesting to have this idea. And again, they communicate sort of like the binars, like, you know, telepathically. And, you know, so many times the walks on is like, you know, talk, talk to me telepathically. And then Troy's like, no, we need to speak like humans. This is how we communicate. And she's like, oh, it's, it's so cumbersome. Just talk to me this way, you know? And so they've got their communication and then obviously their customs of, you know, getting married naked. Uh, I think is so interesting and I love it. And I don't know that I would want to participate, but just the symbolism of here we are, two people joining together, nothing to hide. This is it. This is who you're marrying. Here I am. You know, I just, I think there's a lot of fun customs, you know, dinging the bell to be grateful when you're eating and I just think it's a very interesting and colorful uh, people. So I have a I have a question for you because you know we do see Deanna, we do see Loaxana, and I think we see some some other Betazoids, but we also have Tam. a uh, Tam Elbrun, that's right. But we also have a character in Voyager, Lon Suter, oh, who murders yeah. someone at the beginning of an episode. Yes. So what do you think about that? Like, is there just like this dark? Uh, I mean, you would think with a, a society of lots of people, there are some people that might do something like that, right? Well, <laughs> and I'm going to mention a book, listeners. Yes, oh. I do read. Um, but I was on the truck book club on Twitter, and they read Battle of Beta Z and how they used the Beta Zs to defeat the Dominion mm-hmm. or had that plan to, you know, sort of again using their uh, telepathy in a not And, and there's a really way. interesting like uh, argument among them about the morality of doing that, right? Right, yeah. exactly, yeah. That's a great novel, Battle of Beta Z. That's another one, listeners, yes, you is. should read. <laughs> that one's really good. I just remember, um, does that remind me as well of, I think it was either late 90s or early 2000s, it was around about the time that the Dominion War and, and all of that stuff in DS9 was was still new and coming out there was a couple of like all of the associated comic books there was like the deep space nine range and the starfleet academy range and they did a crossover called the telepathy war which was again all about a like a a a psychic or like a telepathic virus that the dominion were using as a as a biological weapon and it was affecting all of the telepaths in the in starfleet and you had like troy's empathy was completely out of whack and then there was Priel, I think was her name, who was a Vulcan character from Star Trek uh, Academy, who was suddenly like really, really aggressive and mean and, and emotional. And she was like snapping at Troy. But because Troy's empathy was out of whack, she was just like, oh, she likes me. She really likes me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's interesting. I hadn't, haven't read that. There's lots of older comic books I haven't read. That's really interesting. But what do you think about Betazoids in general? I think it's really cool. I'm, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned them. Yeah, I think it's it's great that we get some different characters. Obviously, we get Troy most of the time, and and I think she is great. I think it, definitely underserved by the writing at a lot of times, which is a real shame. But I always thought that she was really 
just interesting and i love the idea that you know the ship's counselor the person responsible for the mental health of the crew held such a high position aboard the ship like that to me says that this is this is a more enlightened civilization in the future where they you know understand the value of that sort of thing um yeah i i've always liked the 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 ideas behind the um the the betazoids and their kind of ability to sort of sense emotions and stuff to the point that years ago when like those play-by forum post rpg things were really popular i was on one of them playing a character named torok who was half vulcan half betazoid half vulcan half betazoid that's pretty interesting yeah i was just like this this is going to be an interesting way to play up someone who's like very like internally divided between sort of like very I'm I'm reading your thoughts and feeling like you need a mind meld right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I love the Betazoids as well. I mean, again, it's a species that's basically human except for like the black pupils and the eyes. But um, but 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 it is. I think I said this on a previous Oral Grey. I think it's interesting that Star Trek says yes. We will know in the future that some people can read other people's thoughts. That will be a scientific fact. I've always thought it's interesting that Mm. that Star Trek says that, and the Betazoids are. An interesting expression about of that, and I always love when we see that from uh, from Deanna and Waxana and other characters. So for for my third pick, um, I had to pick the nanites from Evolution because I I just love so much that you get the, these things that come out of Wesley's experiment, and nobody's really thought about it, but they kind of multiply and evolve, and they can talk through data and. I think there's just something that's really cool and it definitely like expands what you might think of as a species. Uh, and I think I'm trying to remember if this actually happens in the episode, don't they say that they're going to give them like their own planet, <laughs> which I think is, is really cool and which I think recognizes that they are like a separate and distinct species. So Amy, what do you think about the nanites? Yeah, I love that all of our picks, especially these non-humanoid ones that are you know, sort of along the lines, what I said at the beginning, like we're discovering new life and sort of creating what does it mean to be sentient and how are we going to protect them? How are we going, are we going to abuse them? Are we going to use them? Are we going to, you know, help them and put them forth to let them grow and develop as, as they see fit uh, another great episode. I I love them as well. Those little guys. Mm-hmm. Again, size. Again, it just to the tiniest. I kind of put them in the same category as the microbrains because they're really right. small. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Nick, your thoughts? Yeah. So these are the ones that. Um, so uh, Wesley is sort of experimenting on them. Well, he has an experiment, and I think he like leaves it open or something, and they uh, escape. Yeah, they escape, <laughs> yes. and they just sort of wreak havoc with the ship. <laughs> And yeah. he's, because yeah, and they learn from the computer. Yes, no, that's that's really cool as well. And it's I think we've we've come up with a with a real theme of um, life, but not as we know it, kind of thing. But it's like yes. yeah, it's it's very similar to the exocomps. They're just a sort of new life form that has that has kind of been created or sort of evolved in their own right, and then it kind of comes into like with this one especially because they start um, causing havoc with the ship. But then the sort of moral dilemma comes up of like, well, if we just purge these things out of the ship, are we destroying a new life form? Yeah, that's, they're really cool. And that's... Um, 
I was going to say, I think that's one of my favorite things when you see it in, in Star Trek. Like, there's a life form that's threatening us, but let's not just, like, kill it. Let's try to understand it and preserve it if at all possible, which which I really love. I actually have a problem sometimes when I'm watching something and it's like, this thing is really dangerous, kill it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, I like that in Star Trek, they, they like to think about it, like, hold on, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we should, you know, do something different to try to preserve them or understand them. I, I love that. And I just have to interject here. I mean, the whole conversation, I have always kept <laughs> remembering on Discovery you know, when Burnham goes and with Landry, you know, we've got to figure this yeah. thing out. Yeah. And, you know, Burnham comes at the perspective, exactly what you said, Justin, like, you know, we need to figure this thing out and, you know, learn from it and not destroy it. And we're not going to assume that it's evil and trying to kill us. And Landry's just, we've got to do what the captain says. And it tried to kill us. So it's evil and it's bad. And, you know, so, and that has been going through my mind, this whole conversation. And again, we just happen to come across this life form and what are we going to do about it? What's our, what do our actions say about our morality? Yeah, definitely. So I think these have been a lot of great picks, very varied. Do we, we have any honorable mentions that haven't already been taken? Mine was already taken. So <laughs> do you guys have any? Nope, I'm good. I had a couple that I just uh, are worth mentioning. I mean, I thought one thing that I that I had in mind that are two of my favorite species in all of Star Trek, both of whom are, or both of which are introduced in TNG, but are expanded on much more in Deep Space Nine, and that's the Cardassians and the Bajorans. Mm, mm-hmm. I've, I really like, especially with the Bajorans, the kind of interplay between them and the allegory to uh, kind of oppressive regimes and oppressed peoples in the real world um you know is things like in the things happening in the middle east and all that sort of stuff there's just so much so much going on there and watching those episodes nowadays you know even and even the ones in tng with ensign Rowe when she first turns up and she's kind of come she's basically grown up in a refugee camp and all this sort of stuff and seeing that and it's like you know this was like late 80s early 90s and it's still so relevant today Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I just wanted to say like that's something that I thought about, and actually the Bajorans are probably my favorite species overall in Star Trek. Yeah. So I think they they're just so fascinating. But yeah, really, yeah, yeah, definitely. Huh? I thought we had talked about that. Maybe not. But they but they really are. I just love like their history and culture and how much you get to know about them in Deep Space Nine, and you know that they you know, worship these prophets who are real. I mean, it's a question whether they're alien entities or whatever, but I think they're, they're in a very interesting, unique situation. And there's always something fascinating about that. So yeah. probably my favorite species in Star Trek. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say so too. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. Um, any other ones you wanted to mention, Nick? Not really. Although I did, one of the other ones that I, I kind of had on backup in case my others were taken was also the, um, the Mintakans, the, the proto-Vulcans. Mm, and I, I just thought, thought about them too. That was just a, a cool one because it I haven't seen that episode in a while, so I don't have a lot to say about it, but I can just remember that it's a, it's a great Picard episode and it's a great sort of, again, allegory for like how would we interact with or how should we interact with kind of encountering less technologically advanced civilizations and it kind of goes into the the ethics of the prime directive and it's one of the few episodes that i think shows it in kind of a good light maybe 
so yeah those that was a very interesting episode as well uh they start seeing picard almost as a god because he's got you know all of this technology that is that seems like magic to them because what else could it be Hmm. yeah definitely well, this has been a really great discussion. I think we've talked about a lot of different kinds of species. I kind of like that we didn't you know, mention more obvious ones like Klingons or Romulans or something like that. I think we tended toward the things that are a little more alien. So listeners, let us know your picks for your favorite non-human species in TNG. So Nicholas, it's been really great having you here on Earl Grey. So thank you for, for coming on today and let our listeners know where they can find you online. Uh, thank you for having me. This has been great fun. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you want to find me online, so I am on Twitter, um, at Punk Zoologist. I love that handle, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. And uh, I have an Instagram as well, which is uh, uh, at Punk Rock Zoologist, because that's what it actually is, but Twitter doesn't let you have a handle that long. Yeah. Instagram is uh, quite often pictures of uh, anything nature and kind of lots of insects and bugs and cool stuff that i see i saw a really non-human big... species yeah, right? Non-human i species. actually uh <laughs> was uh volunteering at a nearby um national park yesterday and saw a really big centipede and i took some photos and videos of that so that'll be up there soon uh and also pictures of uh model kits and warhammer and stuff that i that i build and paint uh and i'm also on the babel conference uh quite often uh so you'll see me popping up in the comments on there uh, especially um, in the uh, the postcards feeds after um, episodes of Discovery and almost certainly after episodes of uh, Picard when we get that as well. Yes, that's where I first found yeah. you, Nick. <laughs> I was like, who's this guy? Very intelligent, making all these great comments. I'm reading it every single week. <laughs> yeah, dropping all the biology knowledge. <laughs> yes, so absolutely. It's so Glad to have you on Earl Grey. I'm just so honored that you would come on and on the edge. So thank you so, so much. Uh-huh. Thank you. Any Anytime. I, I love coming on here and talking about, um, I mean, obviously biology is my is my thing, but I'm just, I, I love Star Trek. I love coming on to, to talk about anything to, to do with it. Excellent. Yeah, it's great having you on today. So Amy, do you want to give a preview of next week's episode? Yes, and I am very much looking forward to this. We are going to be talking about our favorite inspirational Picard speeches. And I have one that I use all the time. It helps me through many a difficult situation. So I'm really looking forward to talking and hearing your guys' inspirational from Picards and how they affect your life. I'm, oh, I'm just, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it because there are so many good ones. Yeah, I think it's a great topic. And I think it came about because Joe was researching something for a different episode. And he's like, I found this video that has Picard's inspirational speeches. Maybe we should talk about it sometime. So we will next week. So I guess he found it on YouTube, I think, just by searching Picard's inspirational speeches. So you might be able to get a preview of what we're choosing based on that. So yeah, very much looking forward to that. Well, it's been so much fun talking about our favorite non-human species in TNG with Nicholas Paul Collinson today, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. Okay, that's excellent. And it'll be interesting to see how we interpreted the topic because I know I may have interpreted it uh, maybe a little differently than others did. We'll see. Is this another time travel thing? No, I was going to say... 
No time travel for me as long as Jellicoe doesn't come into this. Sure. Okay. That's so we'll make okay. that deal then. Awesome. <laughs> I'm in. All right. Literary treks. And you know the the stakes are are really big. You know we'll we'll get there, but you know this Borg ship threatens Earth and all this kind of stuff, and it just feels like it, it's it's a lot of really comic booky over the top stuff that doesn't quite fit right with the novel that came before it and the novel that came after it, if that makes sense. <laughs> Primitive culture: a look at history and culture through Star Trek. And Next Gen arriving was was this sort of, wow, wow, this is looks incredible. I know when we look at sort of first season Next Gen now, what we're going is, wow, this is really slow and stagey. But in fact, it was, it was incredible. It was absolutely um, game-changing. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Only because I was watching little bits of Emissary recently is that he would see himself wearing that awful purple swimsuit and think, oh, God, I can't wear that. <laughs> oh, my every, gosh. Every time I see it, I'm like, whoa, I'm really glad I'm not wearing 24th century clothing. <laughs> if you wanted me to murder an entire society, fine. <laughs> but I'm not wearing that bathing suit. Too revealing. Oh. That's where I draw the line. <laughs> that's funny. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it will come right up. So, Amy, you want a bonus question? Yes. Yeah. So I was going to ask one, but go for it. Oh, well, you can ask me one because I already answered this one. So, okay. Because I, I think I said the Bajorans are my favorite uh, species in Star Trek. So, I'll make it maybe broader. Name a favorite non-human species that doesn't appear in TNG but does elsewhere in Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> the Gorn. The Gorn. Okay. Very cool. I don't know if it's my favorite, though. Uh, <laughs> but that was the first one that, that the popped into one that my popped mind. Into we head. were talking about what were we talking about just in the episode and with TOS. Well, you mean when we did the crossover with Standard Orbit? No, just <laughs> like a couple minutes ago. Couple I don't know. Ago. You guys were talking, and the Gorn popped into my head, and I was like, "Oh, that's." The, weird. Well, I was talking about ones in TOS, like the Horta and the Excalbians, but that are yeah. And then the Gorn popped into my mind. Okay, Gorn. Okay, that's fine. so as far as favorite. No, I'm just going to stick with the first thing that popped into my head, but I'm going to say it's not my favorite. Okay. So. Uh, well, you had a question for me, though. <laughs> okay. So what non-alien do you associate most with? You're saying alien or non-alien? Non, non-human alien. Non-human alien do I associate the most with? Yes. In terms of like who I would relate to? 
Yeah. Who? That's a really good question. Who I would relate to? Uh, it's that's a tough one because I need to think about. You know what? It maybe it's it's weird to say, but I think it's Flocks from Enterprise. I think there's a certain Ooh. like joy of life that he has in what he's doing <laughs> that, that that I really love. He's my favorite character on Enterprise. So I'd say flocks, yeah. Yay. What does what does he always say? Optimism, Optimism Captain. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So that awesome. is you. That is you. Oh, I like thank it. you. Except I don't have the ridges, but maybe I'll cosplay when I get Ooh. I don't know. I'm always so lazy. I'm like, should I or should I just wear a t shirt? And I usually wear yeah. a t shirt. <laughs> Well, if you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not trying to determine if something you find is a life form or not? Well, when I'm not doing that and calling up Nick to make sure that it is... correct species and the biology of this new life form. Um, I am here in the Babel Conference. Uh, Yeah, you can find me there. And I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. And Justin, where can people contact you when you aren't daydreaming about being all Q powerful? I don't know. That would be pretty... I don't know that that would be a lot of responsibility because if I was all powerful I would say you know Guinan is appearing on the Picard series boom she's there <laughs> you know Q's on the boom Done. she's there yep <laughs> yeah but then people might be like well maybe you're stocking it a little bit too much with people we've seen before anyway so when I'm not thinking about that maybe I will think about it you can find me elsewhere on the network co-hosting The Line. That's our Star Trek Picard podcast. So currently we're talking about some things in the run-up to that show about Jean-Luc Picard. And once it starts airing sometime next year, hopefully early next year, uh, we'll be doing an episode on each Picard episode shortly after it airs. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. You can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. I'm going to add something that I usually only add on Literary Treks because we talked so much about novels in this episode. I love participating in three different Facebook groups that relate to Star Trek uh, books and comics and where I post a lot of my reviews. It's Star Trek Books Discussion Group, uh, Star Trek Books Community Group, and literally Star Trek. So why not? I'll mention it here if you guys and want to join me. And the Twitter book club. And tra- at Trek Book Club. By yes. Rob with That's Rob. going on today. I need to catch up with it. <laughs> That's right. I've been seeing them go through. But yeah, listeners, at uh, Trek Book Club is great because they have lots of amazing discussions every month. That's by Rob Chapman, who's been on Earl Grey before. Um, and sometimes the authors participate as well. It's really cool. So you can find me lots of places. Well, if you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. 
We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Jim McMahon, Joe Keegan, and me, Justin Ozer. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude. We meant no harm. We were exploring. <laughs>